I really don't know why, but um, I've been obsessed with the year 1987, basically since 1987. Um, it was probably the year as, as a kid. It was probably like the full year. Welcome. You're tuned into the Two Kings podcast with your hosts, Brian Weeks and Adam Ricker. You may now enter the kingdom. Good morning and welcome to the Two Kings Podcast, where it is always Saturday. I'm your host, Brian Weeks, and my co-host and partner in love and in life, Mr. Adam Ricker, Big Ricker, the biggest of Rickers, is unable to join me this week, so I am flying solo. Um, As you heard during the opening of the show today, that clip was taken from um, episode number 12, the Bald Beardy Bear um, podcast, and... That is what we're going to be talking about today, is I'm, I'm going to be spending this episode talking about 1987, um, a little bit about what I was doing, um, my favorites, it's kind of a, kind of a hybrid of the, the Two Kings playlist idea that we had, um, as well as just general telling stories and whatnot, and I'm going to start out by telling you about a a dream that I had uh, in 2002. I have mentioned this briefly before, but I'm going to tell a little bit longer version of the story. Um, I had the most interesting dream uh, that I had had in my life thus far. In the spring of 2002, I had a dream that I had found a way to return to 1987. And... In the dream, I was with my dad in the car, and he was driving, and we were coming down into Weir's Beach, which is a a touristy area right nearby here. They have Laconia Bike Week there, if you're at all familiar with Laconia Bike Week. And um, there's a bunch of arcades. There used to be a a water slide there, Um, you know, lots of food stands, drive-in, drive-in movie place and kind of like the place for all the teens and young 20 year olds and whatever to to cruise the strip and whatnot and in in the dream we had kind of driven from present day over the crest of the hill into this town that for some reason was 15 years when i walked into down into the town area and was walking around and seeing seeing the weirs as it was back then um you know my my mind was doing a phenomenal job of painting a picture like it was a completely immersive experience it really felt like i was transformed uh transported there it was amazing but like you know there's music coming out of the speakers in the arcades and and i'm you know seeing the, the marquee at the at the drive-in and it's all it is May 1987 and I'm seeing faces in the crowd of people that I know knew then today in 2002 
that I didn't know in 1987. And like my, my mind had like reversed aged these people. It was, it was just so, so weird and so interesting. And, um, and as I'm walking around, I'm like, Oh, I really, I, I gotta have a cigarette. So, um, I find my dad and bum a $20 bill off of him. And I go into this little mini Mart and, I grab myself a Pepsi in the glass bottle and, you know, a couple of other like little snackies that they don't make anymore. And I go up to the counter, put my stuff down. I'm like, yeah, I'd like a pack of Marlboro lights, please. And the, the clerk behind the counter is like, no. And I'm like, why? I'm like something. And they're like, you're not old enough. And I'm like, "I'm, I'm definitely old enough. And I go and I go reach for my wallet and I don't have my wallet. And, uh, that has my ID. And I said, um, well, I don't have my ID. I can't find. So the guy behind the counter is like, quick, what's your birth date? And I said, August 23rd, 1977. And he's like, exactly. You are nine years old. And it was just at that moment that he said that to me, that I looked up into that like fisheye mirror that, that used to hang up above the cashier and all the general stores. And I was looking up, but looking back at me was me at the age of nine and it was really creepy. Like I'm standing there as a 25 year old adult looking in a mirror, but my reflection is from 1987 and it was super, super creepy. And, uh, so I said, well, you know, forget about the cigarettes. And I, I, I ran out of the store and I found my dad again and I'm like, you're never going to fucking believe this. And he's like, what are you talking about? And I told him what had happened. He's like, wow, that is really, that's really fucked up. I'm like, well, the whole point is, can you go into the store and go buy me the cigarettes? And then I woke up. So, um, but it, the, the, that dream was just so weird and so surreal. It was a, it was a really great dream, but, um, it, it definitely, uh, had a lasting impression. Depending on the part of the year in 1987, I was either nine or 10 years old and, at that time, I had a best friend named Trey. He lived across the street, and we were completely inseparable. Um, and it was the first time that I had, really the first time that I had a male friend. Um, and he was very much um, a really, like, masculine kid. I mean, not, like, super, like, aggro or anything, but, like, he was the quote-unquote normal boy. Um, he was a year older than me and, uh, but we were in the same grade and, um, we were always like, it was with him that I was always doing stuff that I wasn't supposed to be doing, but nothing harmful or anything like that. It was stuff that I would never have dreamed to do, but you know, my more normal acting, you know, normal boy acting friend was wanting to do. And, um, you know, we'd like run off out into the woods and just go exploring and, and, you know, cut down little saplings or whatever. And, uh, like trying to like, Oh, we're going to forge a path in this, in this, in the woods. And, um, and up at my dad's camp, like he'd come up and, um, we were, when I say we, I mean, he, um, we're trying to build a lean to on a couple of trees. Like we found this little clearing area. It was very soft moss. It was almost like it like felt like a nature carpet. And we like built a fire pit 
and we were building a lean-to because we were we were convinced that we were going to be camping out there. We didn't need tents. We were gonna it was going to be a a, a a permanent fixture for us to go and camp out. And um, I was useless at that sort of thing. I mean, even though I was in Cub Scouts, like I really only paid attention once in a while. So I I wasn't really nature boy. Like I loved being outside, but I wasn't you know like a a, a nature person. Um, so eventually he was able to, um, start building a lean to, there was two trees that were right, right next to each other. Um, like, you know, took some rope and put, you know, like a, a, a piece in the middle and started, but anyway, like building a lean to, but where I'm going with that is I was just up there, um, at my dad's house with Adam. Oh, oh, it was on our birthday. So. Yeah, a couple of months ago. And I went out there and there is still part of the lean-to still there after almost 35 years. I mean, it's just a couple of pieces of rope that have like grown into the tree, but it was it was really amazing to see that there like I I found the right tree and that there was still a piece of that there. There was still a piece of my childhood still there and a piece of Trey's childhood. So that was kind of really cool. Um, but we were always riding our bikes everywhere. Um, sometimes I would ride my bike from, um, my house in center Harbor where I grew up the five or six miles here into town, into Meredith, um, to go to my friend Kelly's house who lived, um, not far from where we are right now, uh, near, near McDonald's and, it was kind of a long ride for a 10 year old, but like I did it a couple of times and it was really awesome. And I used to just love going to Kelly's house and, um, playing Barbies or watching gem and the holograms or, um, pretending to fight monsters out in the, out in the yard. It was just a lot of fun. And, um, that was, I would go there by myself, but a lot of times, uh, Trey and I were riding our bikes everywhere and, and it was just a lot of fun. Um, I guess you could say that 1987 was kind of the first year that I had any sort of social life. Um, I was at an age where I could go downtown by myself or go, ha- or, you know, and my parents and other kids' parents would actually like trust us to walk to the store or go to the beach for the day or whatnot. And um, it was really it was really cool. You know, that was like my first experience of not just being in my room by myself. All right. It is time for one of my, uh, one of several countdowns that I'm going to be having here in, in this week's episode. Um, these are in really in no particular order, but, um, these were my top five television shows, nighttime TV shows, um, in 1987. Uh, the first I have mentioned here is the golden girls. And that is the golden girls is absolutely one of my favorite TV shows of all time. Um, it's in my top five of anything I've ever seen on television. Um, I would not only would I watch this with my grandmother when I was, um, staying on weekends down at, down at the farm. Um, my grandmother and I would always sit and watch that. And, um, Saturday night on NBC, in 1987, I mean, they had a stellar lineup. Um, it was 
Facts of Life, 227, Golden Girls, Amen, and then that uh, the, the cop detective show Hunter, um, and then the news in Saturday Night Live. But like Saturday, th- there was a reason to stay home on Saturday night um, in, in 1987. And the Golden Girls was one of my favorite shows. If you haven't heard of the Golden Girls, welcome from being under a rock for the last 35 years. But so well written, so well acted, and just wonderful. Uh, my number two TV show from 87 was the Cosby show. And that was another, um, you know, worldwide hit. Um, one of the most popular shows in America. I think it was still number one in the ratings in in 87. Um, but you know, at at the time, Bill Cosby was America's dad and, and Felicia Rashad was America's mom. Um, and it was, Still kind of at its height of popularity, Thursday nights on NBC. Again, that was a, a stellar lineup, too. It was Cosby Show, Family Ties, and I honestly don't remember what was on after that because on, on Thursday nights, I'd usually have to go to bed at 9, 9.30. So, you know, it was usually Cosby Show, Family Ties, and go to bed. Uh, uh, number three TV show of 87 for me was ALF. And that was on Monday nights at 8 on NBC. Um, I was not the only person in the house to be obsessed with ALF. I loved the the TV show. I went out and bought the comic book. Yes, there was a comic book. Um, I bought all the bubblegum cards. Yes, that was a thing too. And um, my mom was obsessed with ALF. And when... um, when I got and uh, I actually subscribed, I did a mail subscription to the ALF comic book through the mail. And um, when I was done with the comics, my mom always wanted them. And then, you know, after a while, I kind of got over it and moved on. But my mom still has my comic book collection of every ALF comic and all the ALF trading cards. Because she wanted them. She was super obsessed with him. She went and bought a stuffed animal of Alf. And then my sister really liked it. So she gave it to Alf, uh, to Christy. And she ran around with it for years and years and years. Until one of the dogs ate it. Um, then we got a, another Alf doll. But that one was the one that you pressed on its stomach and it would talk. And she didn't like that one as much. Because clearly it wasn't as soft. I mean, it had a big you know, tape player inside of it. So you're going to crack your head on it. But, um, anyhow, that was, uh, Alf was a, was a hilarious show. I know that there were a lot of problems behind the scenes and I found out later that the, the, the person who played Alf was just a horrible human being, but it's still, it's a funny show. Um, my number four TV show from 87 was family ties. I love that show. It was on right after the Cosby show Thursday nights on NBC and um, I remember that I really liked the character of Mallory there was something about Justine Bateman like it wasn't really a crush so much it was more of a I really I liked the way that she talked I liked the way they dressed her character I liked the way her character added. there was something about that character um, and you know I realize 
anyone who really who watched Family Ties knows that Michael J. Fox was supposed to be like the focus of the show, and but I really loved um, the three female. The mother, Elise, played by Meredith Baxter Burney. Um, the youngest sister, Jennifer, played by Tina Others. And, of, of course, I've already mentioned um, Justine Bateman as Mallory. But, yeah, the, the, three, char- the three female characters were the ones that I liked the most. And um, it was just a great show. Um, still pretty much in its prime in 87. Um, and then my number five TV show from the nighttime was absolutely Saturday Night Live. Um, 87 was the first year where I was able to stay up as a kid to watch the whole show. Um, the very first episode of Saturday Night Live that I was able to stay up for was the episode of William Shatner, um, in December of 1986. That was the very first one I was able to stay up for. So I made it like my life's goal to stay up as much as I could, um, from then on. And I, that was when I became a a regular viewer of SNL. And that is my favorite. Dana Carvey, Phil Hartman, Kevin Nealon, John Lovitz, Dennis Miller, Nora Dunn, Jan Hooks, Victoria Jackson, and featuring Al Franken and a Whitney Brown. That was classic to me. And to this day, it's it's hard to find those episodes now, but when they do pop up on Netflix here and there, and when they do, or YouTube, I'm all about that era. Um, so yeah, that's my top five TV shows from 1987. Uh, in school, uh, depending on the half of the year, I was either in the fourth grade or the fifth grade, and um, I had a mildly challenging time during elementary school, but it had, didn't really have a lot to do with the schoolwork. Um, it was sort of the, more the social, the social stuff of, of being in school. But I remember vividly in the fourth and the fifth grade, um, they had a big focus on learning, uh, New Hampshire history, um, New Hampshire government, uh, the history of our town. Um, and also, 87 was the 200th anniversary of the U.S. Constitution, uh, the document, not the ship. And we learned a lot about the Constitution during during the second half of 87 in, in fifth grade. We, we started learning about the Constitution itself. Um, I remember that we one of our things we had to do for credit was to learn the preamble to the Constitution. And... Um, I got extra, extra credit because I used to be that nerd that collected postage stamps and they had put out a set of five stamps that on all five of the stamps, if you put them together, they had the entire preamble to the constitution. And, um, I like, I think I framed, I like, I got some and I framed them and I brought them into the teacher. So I definitely got extra, extra credit, (laughs) but, uh, learning the New Hampshire history was really, really cool. Um, we learned about colonial times. Um, we actually had someone come in from a farm to to teach everyone how to make butter. And that was how I learned about, you know, turning heavy cream into butter, just, you know, shaking the hell out of it. But it was really awesome to be able to, like, sit there at my desk in school and, you know, have a little jar of heavy cream and then a few minutes later have butter I can put on a cracker. It was just so cool. Um 
and then town history um that was um the interesting story about that was um there was me and my my friend amy who were in the class together and we lived in a different town um our school district is encompassed in into two is from three towns center harbor meredith and sandwich and the sandwich kids in elementary school had their own school but um in my class everybody except for me and amy lived in meredith and in Amy and I lived in Santa Harbor. So we're learning about the history of Meredith and it was really cool, but like no one was talking about the history of Santa Harbor. So I went to the teacher and I said, you know, I asked if we like wrote a report or, you know, could we do some extra credit? And we wanted to learn about the history of Santa Harbor, but we didn't want to like make the whole class learn if they didn't want to. So yeah, she offered, I think she offered us extra credit to do it. But yeah, I remember that four or five weeks every Saturday morning going to the library and meeting Amy there and, and, and looking at old documents and stuff from the, from the town. And it was very interesting. And, uh, it was, it was a good experience. You know, I think that that's, that was the interesting, like the anomaly of learning about local history and local government, um, was very specific to that, calendar year it was like the second half of fourth grade and the first half of fifth and it was also a cool time because it was like the constitution's 200th anniversary and all that um i kind of feel like they like put all that stuff together for us to learn that at that time so i feel fortunate that that was part of the stuff that i learned um as a a kid i mean i don't remember a lot of it now because it was 35 years ago but i remember being fascinated about it um, another thing that we did in school that year, um, and never again, was this thing called Video Club. And I remember being invited. It was in fifth grade. Um, I was invited to be a part of Video Club. And it turned out, like, it sounds very, like, geeky, AV club kind of thing. But really what it was, was a filmmaking and improv club. Um, video camera, you know, video cameras that you could carry around VHS video cameras were still not super common in people's homes, but the school had one. And, um, I remember one of, one of the fifth grade teachers, Mr. Kelly, he would go on to be, uh, principal and just, he just, um, retired a couple of years ago, but uh, Mr. Kelly started video club and it was, we made little, you know, we made little movies and it was a lot of improv and it was like learning about how to use a video camera. Um, it was really, really cool. And I had so much fun. I, I really, really wish that, uh, I had access to see any of that stuff that we, that we did back then. But I'm, I'm pretty sure that all those tapes became Mr. Kelly's property, but, uh, was so cool to be able to see some of that stuff from 1987 video club. Um, the other thing about my school life back then that was a, a little different than other people's, um, was I spent part of the day in the grade ahead. Um, I was at a very early age. I was, um, branded as a, as a gifted child. Uh, my reading and comprehension skills were, were uh, 
at least a grade level higher than everybody else in school. And I was testing higher on that stuff. And, um, the, but I wasn't performing as well at the rest of my school. I was just a really advanced reader and intelligent. Um, so what the school district did was they sent me to the grade ahead, uh, for reading class and just reading class. So like I was in fourth grade for, you know, six out of seven hours a day. But then I was also, I was a a fifth grader for, you know, that one, one hour a day. And, um, it really didn't do any favors to my social skills or social growth. Um, cause I was already convinced that everybody in my class hated me. And now I had a second class of people that hated me. Um, but you know, I, I realized that wasn't all true. I mean, to, to this day, I'm actually, um, I, I work with a guy that was in when I was in the fourth grade and taking fifth grade reading, he was in that fifth grade class. And we became friendly um, during that class. And uh, and now, you know, 35 years later, I work with a guy. I see him every day. It's really fun. Um, but um, it, it was just, it was, a, it was such a strange existence to have, to be in a different grade for part of the day. It was just really, really strange. Um, I mean, I, I enjoyed it. You know, the work tended to be a little bit more challenging, but it was just really, really weird. So, yeah, that was, that's my weirdness from school. It is time for another top five countdown. This top five is not in any particular order, but these are the top five songs from 87 that I jammed out to and uh, really thought were my, were my favorite. Um, the first, there's actually three covers out of five. Um, the first one that I'm going to mention uh, is I Think We're Alone Now by Tiffany. Uh, that one, that was everywhere in 87. And I, I remember there was a girl in who, a new girl in school in fifth grade, and she was in my class. And um, she had the same red hair, the same head to toe denim. And, um, and it was just, it was just really funny. Like it was, and that was when Tiffany was becoming really, really popular. Like, Oh my God, you look just like Tiffany. Um, but yeah, that was cool. And that was a cover of an old 60s song. Um, the second one I'm going to mention is a cover of the song funky town originally done by lips Inc in 1980 in 87, there was kind of a high-energy, dancey cover uh, by a complete one-hit wonder group called Pseudo Echo. And to, for me, for my money, uh, Pseudo Echo's virgin, version is much, much more superior to the original. I, I really love that pumped-up synth, you know, synth bass line. 80s dance kind of thing versus the like very spare almost like sad disco like not fun disco just shitty sad disco of the original um the third song on my top five playlist from 87 is 
Nothing's Gonna Change My Love For You by Glenn Medeiros. He was a teenager who lived in Hawaii that was like 15 years old at the time or something and um, like won some singing contest and it actually led to him getting a, a, a contract and putting out a cover that Nothing's Gonna Change My Love For You was originally recorded by George Benson in 1985. And um, it's got... It's very much the same. Um, it's a, it's a pretty close cover, but um, I really like Glenn Medeiros' version um, a little bit better. Um, but that song became a slow dance staple at all the school dances for years afterwards. And... Uh, I do still feel some kind of way about it. I, I still listen to it every so often when I when I kind of want to remember those days. The next song from uh, my top five is um, Love Will Save the Day by Whitney Houston. Um, this is on the Whitney album, um, the, the one that has uh, I Want to Dance with Somebody and I Get So Emotional. Um, but this one wasn't wasn't actually released as a single, I don't think. Uh, Love Will Save the Day is a more, a little more dancey, a little more, I don't know. It just feels a little, a little funkier. Um, and I love the message of the song. Um, and I'm some, one of my friends must have had the record or something of the, the, the whole album. Uh, cause I know I didn't have it. Um, and I don't remember it playing on the radio a lot but i absolutely loved it and someone taped it for me i i remember asking someone to tape that song for me and they did and and i i, I played the shit out of it um but the last song from 87 that was right up there my one of my favorites um is causing a commotion by madonna that song was featured in the soundtrack of the movie that she did called Who's That Girl? And of course, the, the song everybody really remembers from Who's That Girl is the title track. Um, but I really loved Causing a Commotion. It was a lot more uh, club-oriented, much dancier, and I love that. I, and to this day, I have the 12-inch single uh, of that song, and I just still love that bass line. Oh. What a great tune. But yeah, those are my top five songs from 1987. You've been listening to the Two Kings Podcast. We're going to pause for a brief intermission and then return for the second half of this week's broadcast. Thanks again for listening to the Two Kings Podcast. Now let's return to the second half of the broadcast. It wasn't all time with my friends in 1987. I did spend a lot of time by myself or without friends. Um, but a couple of things that I used to do when I was when I was by myself um, was Saturday mornings, some Saturday mornings, um, I would get dropped off in town uh, in Meredith. Uh, my mom delivered mail, and she worked from 7 in the morning until, like, 12 12 30 in the afternoon and um saturday some some saturday morning she would drop me off at the lights in meredith and right there was a uh, a little diner i would go in and get the same thing every week 
everybody who knows me, I'm, I'm, I'm a creature of habit. Um, I would get uh, a hot chocolate and a jelly donut. And that was my breakfast. You know, breakfast of champions, healthy as fuck. And uh, <clears throat> I would sit there and, and, uh, and have my little breakfast. And then I would walk up to the library. Uh, library opened at 8. So I would, you know, waste an hour at the diner. Um, but I would always be there for 8 o'clock at the library. And I would go into the children's room. And I would sit there and read book after book after book. And until my mom got out of work and but it, at this point she was still like coming up to the up coming up and coming in and like poking her head and being like okay hey i'm here we can go you know it wasn't like you know she'd screech into the parking lot and blow the horn or expect me to go over to the post office or whatever she was still coming in to kind of get me um but then i would you know check out the two armfuls of books that i had for the next couple of weeks and it's kind of one of those things that <clears throat> I don't think that you could really do anymore. Um, you know, be alone in the lab, you know, be a 10 year old kid in the library for hours on end unsupervised, but I was very well behaved. I mean, I just sat there and read books. Um, and generally on Saturday mornings, there were no other people there besides me and the librarian. Um, most other kids were at home watching cartoons. I just really sometimes wanted to go and, and just read. They had comfortable, they had cool beanbag chairs and I didn't have a beanbag at home. So that was kind of cool. And I'm pretty sure there was like a, you know, there were like murals or stuff, you know, there's stuff to look at, but there was like unlimited books. I could read anything I wanted. And and I read um, all the Peanuts cartoons in, in the uh, that were all brought up into um, anthology books, and um, you know all the Peanuts cartoons, the Family Circus books. Like I read a lot of cartoons too, um, but I, I read a lot of you know regular books too. And and it was just there was no limit. I, I could literally read anything I wanted, whatever the mood struck me, and and then I would pick out you know my two armfuls of books to, to take home. Yeah. I, I read a lot. <laughs> um, also in, in the reading theme is, um, I got an allowance. Um, I want to say it was like $5 a week in, in 87. So every Friday I would, after school would go down to Robin's general store and get a bunch of little Debbie snacks and a soda but I was always getting um, all the new Archie comics. And I've talked about Archie comics, I know, a couple of times during the podcast, but um, various various episodes. But I mean, I can't undersell how much I love Archie comics. I still, to this day, read the Archie comics. Um, I have the app on my, on my tablet. I pay eight bucks a month to have all the cartoon uh, to have all the comic books sent to my iPad digitally and I still read them. But yeah, that was my thing. Every week I would get the Archie comics and, and some snacks and go hang out or whatever. But the comics was definitely, definitely it. And then on Friday nights, um, 
that was sort of a family thing, but um, it was more geared towards me. I think it was just so my parents could have some alone, some some time just hanging out by themselves. But um, we, most every Friday night, um, we would go and get a pizza at LVO's, the pizza place up the road. And next door to LVO's was National Video, the video rental place. And, you know, neither one of my parents were big on movies or or TV or anything like that. Like, they had the stuff. My mom had stuff that she watched, generally soap operas. But, like, my dad wasn't a TV person. He wasn't a movie person. My mom couldn't give a shit either. So, generally, while the pizza was, was being, uh, well, the pizza was cooking over at the restaurant, my dad would give me the the video card and you know cash to go rent a couple of movies but it was like my choice it's like yeah whatever that gave me something to do over the weekend and i remember at this time maybe a little earlier than that but somewhere in that vicinity you could actually request a a list a paper list of everything that they had in the video store um you know old xerox sheets of, of paper with that you know that somebody taken a typewriter and typed out the you know 400 titles they had or whatever and xeroxed them and, and stapled them together and like quarterly you could you could get a um an actual physical list of what was in the what they had to offer because you know not everything was there at all the time because you could call ahead and, and try to re- and, and reserve something um but yeah, that was that was really cool. I remember having a couple of those. But I was always renting. Um, I rented just about every cartoon they had. I remember renting um, Pink Panther cartoons from there, the the Archie cartoons from the '60s. Um, but you know, I was basically that. That was it. I, I'd pick out two or three movies or cartoons or something, and that would be, you know, just for me. And, you know, we pizza and, and videos were always really cool. Um, sometimes I would pick a movie that we could, that the family could all watch together. Um, and I can't even, I can't believe I'm going to actually, like, my, my parents were pretty permissive with me with, with what stuff that I could watch and stuff that I couldn't watch. Um there really was nothing on the list of you can't watch this. So, and again, being a, an only child up until a year prior, um, I tended to watch the same stuff on the television or the VCR that my parents were watching. So I did get to see a lot of like, when I say adult movies, I don't mean porn movies. I mean like, uh, like movies for adults, like not children's movies. Um, so I remember at this time, you know, nine, 10 years old, um, that I would rent, we rented all the Cheech and Chong movies. Um, we, and you know, yeah, all the Cheech and Chong movies, George Carlin stand up, um, Richard Pryor stand up. Like that's the stuff that I was watching when I'm seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old. So, you know, I could just as, just as easily pick up, Cheech and Chong's Up in Smoke or the Pink Panther's Greatest Hits. You know, that's, and I'm still kind of the same way today. All right, I have another top five list for you. Um, 
this list is my top five Saturday morning TV shows in 1987. Um, and these are in order, so I will count backwards from five. So number five favorite was The Smurfs. I was on uh, NBC, and I'm absolutely certain everybody knows who The Smurfs are. I really enjoyed the... Um, I really, really enjoyed the storytelling. Um, I remember by by eighty seven they had started to kind of lean into that medieval um, storyline with the human characters, um, which I didn't care for quite as much. And then they brought on like the baby Smurfs and and but still, I, I watched every week, even though you know probably one out of every four every four stories I didn't really care for, but <clears throat> great, great show. Um, number four would be Bugs Bunny and Tweety. That was on ABC at the time. Um, I, I love Bugs Bunny cartoons, Bugs Bunny and Daffy and um, Tweety and Sylvester and the uh, Roadrunner and Wiley Coyote. All of those cartoons, love them always. Um, definitely perennial favorites. Uh, number three, Saturday morning TV for me, was Pee-wee's Playhouse on CBS. That was a live-action show starring Pee-wee Herman. It was kind of subversive, kind of weird, kitschy, 50s throwback, very camp, um, but and just weird, and I loved that. That was kind of, that was definitely a formative show for me. I look forward to that every week. Uh, number two was Muppet Babies. And that one, I still, to this day, I love that one. Um, especially, it wasn't from 1987, it was actually from 1990. But the episode of um, Muppet Babies where they are parodying Star Trek, Star Wars, um, some Doctor Who, it's fantastic. Oh, the Jetsons, it's fantastic. And I know that I have put a link. There is a link already on our website. I want to say it's the, during the Saturday morning cartoons episode we did back, uh, back in the spring, I think. Yeah. It's, I believe it's on that post. Um, so I'm not going to repost it again, but my number one Saturday morning TV show of all time is absolutely Alvin and the Chipmunks on NBC. Um, I, lived for Alvin and Chipmunks and in 87 that's the year that they put out their full length movie the Chipmunk movie and um oh just I love Alvin and Simon and Theodore and I love the Chipettes and um yeah we know how Adam feels about them he doesn't really care for them uh but <laughs> he's not here today so yeah number one favorite Saturday morning show was Alvin and the Chipmunks 100% There's a few things that I was thinking about that you were able to do in 1987 that you absolutely cannot do today um, as a kid or even as a human being. Uh, one of them that I remember, and I was explaining this to somebody a couple weeks ago, and they looked at me like I had nine heads. In my town, if I wanted to call somebody else in my town, all I had to do was pick up the phone and dial the last four digits of the phone number. Um, apparently that used to be a thing that, um, the, the, uh, telephone number for the town I lived in, Santa Harbor, the first three digits was two, five, three. And, um, 
my number was 253-7509. And my best friend Trey's number was 253-4647. And so I remember like being able to just pick up the phone and dial 4647 and get him on the phone. And I think it has to just be a small town thing. Um, and this, that, I remember that from 1987, but um, by the time I got my first job in 1991, um, I was still able to do that because my first job was at a hotel and their number was very, very similar to, to Trey's. I think it was 4747. And, um, but I had to call in every night to see if I was working the next day. But yeah, that was like 1991. Like we didn't have like the upgrade on t- on uh, telephones until the like the mid 90s when they started doing the the upgrades there in, in in my little town. Um, riding in the back of the pickup truck was another thing that uh, Trey and I used to do a lot, and I used to do a lot. Um, e- there's no way you can do that anymore. Um, you know, I always thought it would have been nice to have a seat or a seat belt back there, but nope, just rattling around in the back of the truck, sometimes on top of a load of wood, sometimes, you know, just sitting there and yeah, completely unsafe, uh, but a lot, tons of fun, um, which kind of brings me to that, that other third thing of you, you can't do anymore, completely unsupervised play, um, I remember leaving my house first thing in the morning, you know, seven, eight o'clock and not returning until eight or nine at night, um, in the summer. And, you know, my parents not being worried or, you know, throwing out a search party, like nobody's parents were worried about that. Like we would just go out and go out in the woods all day, or we'd go to the beach, we'd go to the store, we, we would go all over the place. And a lot of time not have any, you know, not even have a dime to make a phone call if we found, if, if something was, was going on or whatever. Um, we were just out. And our parents didn't care. Other adults didn't ever say anything. It was kind of commonplace. And, and that's something you don't see anymore, you know. Um, I realize, you know, in 2020, the year of, of, of COVID and everything, you know, there's a, there's not a lot of outdoor play going on anyway but and I don't have kids I'm not making judgment on the way parents are are parenting their children now but I just tend to see a lot of a lot more supervision a lot more hovering with the parents and 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 if they're like trying to be involved that's fucking awesome um you know if you're you know I know my sister has has young children and she's always trying to do stuff with them and whatever and that's fantastic I, I think it's great but that I think the whole idea of unsupervised play is definitely gone now. Um, it's a completely different world that we live in. And um, at the time that I'm recording this, um, my, you know, I'm the only adult here. And, um, you know, my sister's at the grocery store. Um, my 14-year-old niece is upstairs. And I'm the only adult around. And... So like, I just checked in with her to be like, you know, Hey, I'm here. You know, you don't have to, don't freak out. I'm here. Um, and she was like, Oh, cool. Thank you. You know, like that is kind of a thing to be, you know, 
kind of nervous if you were by yourself. And that wasn't anything that we had to worry about when, when I was a kid. We have one more top five countdown. Uh, this is the my top five reads um, in 87 when I was nine, ten years old. The, the first set of books that I was obsessed with was by a children's author named Robert Newton Peck. And he wrote a series of books um, about a character named Soup. Uh, and Soup was a, a, the novel, the first one. It came out in 1974. Um, the main characters are, are two boys, Rob, who's the narrator of the, of the books, and his close friend Luther, who goes by Soup. Um, these books all take place during the Great Depression in Vermont. And it's about, you know, the daily lives of the main characters. Um, Soup is, he has good intentions, but he's definitely a troublemaker. Um, Always coming up with these really, like, outlandish plans that get him and Rob into trouble. He's a year older than Rob. Um, Rob is a lot more sensible and and frequently gets the short end of the stick and, and ends up having to do soups, dirty work, but they're best friends. Um, so it's like a historical period piece in, in one end, but another in, in another way, it's about, you know, friendship and, and, you know, two boys hanging out together in a small town and in the great depression. And I really identified with the Rob character. And I also kind of saw a lot of my friend Trey in uh, the soup character. And we actually, we both were reading these books because I think I started reading them. And I'm like, hey, these are really good books. And so he got into them too. And we were reading all of the soup books. Um, we had a thing in fifth grade where we were, it was a uh, some sort of a parade or something for, for reading where we were supposed to dress up as our favorite literary character or, or wear a costume that, that something about our favorite character out of the book. And Trey and I went as Soup and Rob. And, uh, and I just remembered that like yesterday when I was doing prep for this, for this podcast, I just remembered like, Oh my God, we dressed up as Soup and Rob. Um, but it was, they're wonderful books. I don't know if they're still in print. Um, however, I just found out again, doing research that, uh, there's two half hour specials that were part of the ABC afternoon special, um, Saturday afternoon thing. Um, where they adapted two of the books into specials in the 1970s. So later on tonight, I'm probably going to be watching those. Um, I watched the first five minutes of one. I'm like, man, I, I, going down a rabbit hole. I gotta, gotta, gotta do the podcast. Um, but yeah, they're fantastic books. If you can find them. Um, my second set of books that I was really into then was, um, a set of mystery fiction books, uh, called Tack, and it was T asterisk A asterisk C asterisk K asterisk. Was it was very stylized. Um, they were a set of books. They were produced in the eighties. Um, they were published by Scholastic, so I'm sure they came from a uh, one of the Scholastic book club um, flyers that I used to obsess over. Uh, they were written by Marvin Miller and Nancy Robinson. They are uh, very popular, you know, kind of. I don't want to say generic, but like they were, they were, you know, very popular children's writers that would just kind of churn out lots and lots of books. Um, 
it's kind of in the wave of the vein of Encyclopedia Brown and other mystery and puzzle series kind of like things. Each book had like six or seven chapters. Um, at the end, you were supposed to try and figure out what the, the, the solution to the mystery or problem. And then you could like skip a couple pages and then, and, and see the prologue of how it was handled, uh, took place in this little town, Sandy Harbor, Connecticut. Um, and it was sometimes it was mystery, sometimes it was just a problem of some sort. But it was a group of four local kids, and um, they were they were really fun. You know, they were a little more they were like mystery fiction, a little bit of adventure, um, but they were super super fun. And I want to say there was like four books in the series. And again, I probably came out of the book clubs. Um, the third um, set of books I was reading back then was, and I that was the thing with me. I wasn't one to just read a single book. I really got into series. Um, I am an, I I was an avid reader. I I still kind of am, but like uh, to a lesser extent. But when I was a kid, I was constantly reading. It didn't matter what it was. I mean, I was even reading the cereal box at, at the breakfast table, anything I could read, I was reading it. Um, so I used to get really amped when I would read a book and I would like it and find it. Oh, wow. There's a whole set of these books. Um, the Ramona Quimby series, uh, written by Beverly Cleary, um, those started in the fifties and, um, she wrote at least a half a dozen books, but I absolutely loved the character of Ramona Quimby. Um, I know that those books were like beneath my reading level. They were kind of made for kids a little bit younger than me, but I found them to be very entertaining. And I, I remember, um, identifying with some of the, you know, some of Ramona's, um, you know, she got into trouble and, or either she was, you know, causing fun mischief that turned out badly, or she was feeling, um, you know, feeling left out of things because, uh, you know, uh, her sister was getting more attention. You know, there were lots of things that I could, I could kind of identify with. Um, and they're just a great series. There's at least a half a dozen of those. Um, I highly recommend those. The fourth set of books I was into are the Babysitter's Club books. Um, those were, I'm sure, um, definitely, um, they were definitely written with uh, for the for a female audience, but I really fell in love with the characters. I think the reason that I picked up the first one was not because I had any interest in babysitting, but the first book in the series um, is titled Christie's Big Idea, and it the way they that the author spelled Christie is the same way that my sister's name is spelled, which at the time was not a a common spelling. So that I think was the reason I grabbed the, the first book, but um, that series has like 250 books and I haven't read them all, but if I still like, if I'm at a thrift shop or, or something, or uh, usually a thrift shop, but like, if, you know, and I see a few babysitters club books that I haven't read. I mean, they're generally only a quarter or something. I'll buy them, I'll read them. And then I will, um, I will donate them back. I was for a while trying to collect all the Babysitter's Club books for my two nieces, but um, there's so many of them that, and also they're at a point where, I mean, I think I had like 50 of the books, but then like the kids were getting older and they were kind of aged out of it. But um, 
you know, feel kind of bad about that. But it's a great, great series. Um, and then the the final set of books I was really super into in 1987 was the Little House on the Prairie series by Laura Ingalls Wilder. Um, and that was one, a series where I, I picked up the first book because I remember when I was younger watching the television show on NBC. Um, Little House on the Prairie, I want to say, went through like 83 or 84. Um, we didn't watch it every week. But I do remember it being on and watching it and enjoying it. And then I re- remember hearing, oh yeah, it's a whole set of books. And they were, you know, young adult books. Um, and yeah, I read all of those. Um, and I, I really liked, like, and I think the thing that the five of these things have in common is, yeah, they're series, but they were, you know, the soup books had the, the friendship and the, and you know, the, the great depression, the tack books were a little bit more like adventure mystery kind of things. And then, you know, Ramona Quimby and the Babysitter's Club were kind of slice of life. And Little House on the Prairie was more, was, again, uh, historical um, and mostly nonfiction. So that was kind of cool. But, like, there was something that I could pull out of each of those. And um, I really, really enjoy those. And as a adult in my 40s if I was able to find any of these books again I'd probably sit and I'd still sit and read them um but you know that's just that's just the way that I am <laughs> over the years I've wondered why and I've been asked why I have this obsession with 1987 and you know it's very easy for me to say oh yeah it was my favorite year and it really was um I think objectively looking back at it, it is definitely the year for the the whole the year as a whole. Um, I was definitely ha- the happiest time in my childhood. You know, I had my first friends um, that I hung out with outside of school. You know, and really my first friends altogether because I I really was not one. I was not a very social kid, so this is really m- me starting to have friends. Um, I had a girlfriend. Um, I had a new baby sister, granted Christy was born in 86, but like, you know, it was still the, she had the novelty of having her around hadn't worn off quite yet. Um, but also in fourth and fifth grade, that was definitely the most interesting schoolwork that I had had up until that time. And probably if I had to, if I really had to quantify it, probably the most, probably the most interesting schoolwork I had ever. Um, so yeah, 1987 was a really good year. I mean, there was great television, there was great music, uh, great movies, you know, so like what's not to love? Uh, but yeah, I think, so looking back, I mean, there were, there were many, many reasons, but the, the, the short story is I think it's when I was most happy in my childhood. All right, it's about time to wrap it up for this week. But before I go, I just want to say thank you to our listeners uh, for tuning in every week. Uh, Thank you for listening to me drone on about 1987 for seemingly no reason whatsoever for the last hour. Uh, If anyone out there is, uh, I know I have a couple of listeners that listen every week and probably have a way of contacting Trey. Um... I would absolutely love it if someone out there told him about 
this podcast, especially this week's, because I spend a lot of time talking about him. Um, but you know, I had a fantastic, you know, there was issues when we were a few years that would come a few years later and we would, you know, not really, we would not be close friends anymore. But, um, recently over the last couple of years, I had a chance to bump into him again. And, um, you know, I would absolutely love the opportunity for him to hear this podcast and because that kid, you know, we ended up being very different adults, um, but I had such a great time um, hanging out with him and, you know, being best friends with him for like the, the three years that we were. And I look back on those days and, and they were just some of the most memorable. Uh, so thanks for all the memories, uh, Trey, if you're listening and, uh, hope to, you know, catch a beer with you at some point in, in adulthood. But, uh, as always like, and subscribe to the podcast, go to our website, www.twokingspodcast.com. Uh, go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash two Kings podcast. Um, and next week, I have un- very bad news for you. Adam will not be here for next week's show either, um, but I'm looking forward to having him back within the next couple of weeks after uh, once we're once he's um, all moved in and our lives are a little bit more settled, we'll have a lot more time to to work on the podcast. And we have a bunch of stuff coming up um, in the future that we're really excited about. So yeah, definitely stay tuned. Um, as always, thank you so much for joining the two Kings podcast where it is always Saturday. And as Adam would say, if he were here, wear a mask and keep your damn hands to yourself. Have a great week, everybody.